With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into a post-game edition of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Make sure to check out the show at SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand or go on to Apple Podcasts, search the Hangout in the Holy Land, subscribe there, leave a review, leave us some feedback. This is our first post-game edition of the 2017 season. It's August 31st, 2017, and Ohio State has just wrapped up Mere minutes ago, their game versus the Indiana Hoosiers, Ohio State wins 49-21. to They not only go to 1-0 on the season, but 1-0 in Big Ten conference play. First time they've started the season in conference play since 1976. And boy, it, it was a doozy of a game. And to break it down, I am joined by my buddy and my fellow Lane Grant compatriot, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, how you feeling after that, man? I'm feeling tired. It's um, it's midnight Eastern time here in Columbus, God City, and <laughs> watching watching Indiana football really really wears me out, especially when Ohio State is involved. I'm feeling great, man. It, it's 10 o'clock p.m. over here in Colorado, and I feel like I got some juice to me right now. So, where where do you want to kick off this game? Because it was one where Ohio State got the ball first, and they had an 11 play drive had. I'd say a pretty nice drive, and we're able to move 66 yards down the field, stalled in the red zone. They go up 3 nothing, but Indiana comes back with a drive of their own, 11 plays, 87 yards, and from there on pretty much controlled the play in the first half and ends up at the end of the first half. Indiana has the 14-13 lead, so probably best to start with that a little uneven first half. What, what did you think about the start of the game? Well, going into the game, I thought, the first half would go about how it did. Um, it seemed like Ohio State, especially on offense, was really trying to figure out exactly what they wanted to do and what they had with their personnel. Um, whereas Indiana looked more experienced. Indiana looked like they like they had a defined idea on what of what they were going to do on offense and defense, and that was pretty much they were going to throw it to a tall guy and pick up 10 yards. But I think the first half really showed that it's not just plug and play in the defensive backfield for Ohio state. And these guys, you do have to get some experience before you can play against teams like Indiana or Oklahoma. And in the second half, they did pick it up, but the first half was really kind of, I think a shock to the system a little bit for those guys. Yeah. Especially for Denzel Ward, who we'll talk about. And I I think Sheffield too was alone on those islands against Simi Cobbs, who had 11 catches for 149 yards and one touchdown and the the one thing that I really liked about even in the first half when they were getting beat in Ward, especially on some of those plays, is that they were never completely out of position. You know, there there was a few coverage breakdowns, but those plays on an island, Simi Cobbs was making some incredible catches. And even Richard Legau, I, I had a friend text me that was like, bro, 
you couldn't ask for a guy to put the ball in a better spot than what he was doing, especially in that first half. So, you know, we're going to focus on Ohio State players on this podcast, obviously, but especially in that first half, kudos to the quarterback-receiver combination for Indiana because they made some incredible plays. And regardless of who you are, you know, if you're in position, then sometimes you're just going to get beat. But I really like the way that not only Ward, but guys like Sheffield and some of the other corners. Damon Arnett, I think, had a strong game, especially in run support and in some of those, in some of the way he played screens to the outside. I thought that they competed, and, and they really looked good physically. And I'm sure we'll hear from people talking about, you need to, to turn your head around and make a play on the ball. And I, I think that that's stuff to your point that they're going to iron out as the season goes on, but they were thrown into a really tough position. And it's not like Greg Schiano was giving them that much help. I know that Kirk Herbstreet was talking about putting safeties over the top of those outside corners. And they did start doing that in the second half. But for the most part, it just seemed like, you know what, we're going to throw these dudes into the fire. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But I thought by the end of the game, all of those guys and Ward especially held their own. Yeah, as the game continued on, you could tell that that the defensive backfield and the defense in general was really starting to get their footing, and the maybe there was a scheme change, but just in general, it looked like the confidence was um, was better, and the 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 coverage was significantly improved. But um, yeah, shout out to Simi Cobbs. That dude's gonna be playing on Sundays. He's he's a freak. Yeah, uh, I'm about done. I said this on Twitter a little bit ago, but. The fact that we can go through the rest of the season and not have to worry about all of the anxiety that this Indiana game <laughs> always brings is like is so fantastic. It's just another one of those conference opponents. And, you know, other than Michigan State, even including Michigan, Indiana has probably played Ohio State the toughest of anybody in conference over the last three or four years. So to get this game over with is great. We'll get into the offense in a, in a little bit because I know people want to talk about JT Barrett and hear about what we thought about the way he played. And J.K. Dobbins, who broke Ohio State's freshman rushing record set by Maurice Claret, he had 181 yards in his first career game, which is absolutely bonkers. We'll get to that. But since we're on the defense, let's talk about the defensive line. The secondary was on display because Indiana was throwing the ball a ton, but that defensive line was absolutely eating. Indiana had 17 total rushing yards, had 27 carries. They didn't even break, I think, into positive integers until late in the game. Their starters rushed for, I want to say, negative two yards. So Ohio State was killing it up front on the defensive line, and we expected that. But in, in the past game, too, you had a guy like Jayshon Cornell get his first major run. He forced a fumble. Robert Landers was making plays. The the, the fumble callback, which I, I think was a good call, but even on a play like that, you can see the athleticism that a guy like him, a 5'11", 300-plus-pound defensive tackle, is bringing to the table. He had a good game. Tyquan Lewis had a strong game. I thought Sam Hubbard was pretty strong. Jalen Holmes is a guy that I think always kind of flies under the radar, and although he may not have the high sack numbers, he played well. Nick Bosa had a ridiculous sack. Like You can go on and on down the list here. Jonathan Cooper played well in his sparing role. So uh, there's not really enough you can say about the way the defensive line played. And, and once the secondary gets some experience, this defense is going to be incredible. Yeah, there were plays where the defensive line completely – like just stopped to play within a second like 
Draymond Jones did it a couple times where yeah. he just completely flew through the through the guard or the center and just blew up the play. And that the rush man set on the third and longs with um, I want to say Nick Bosa, Jalen Holmes, Sam Hubbard, and um, Lewis. That might be the best defensive line in terms of pass rush that I've ever seen play college football. Like that's insane. And they go like I said. I mean, this is a defensive line that Michael Hill's suspended right now. Who knows when he'll be back? Haskell Garrett, I think he got some playing time really late. You had Chase Young who was getting playing time. I didn't really see him stand out at all. But this is a line that goes about 10 or 11 guys deep. And no matter who who they're playing, they're going to be able to rotate against anybody. And I think for any situation, because you have a guy like Draymond Jones who may not be a great pass rusher inside but he's going to be able to plug up the middle of the de- or the middle of the offense and that's the same for Robert Landers as well and they just have so many guys with different skill sets you know they're not just pass rushers or run pluggers a guy like Sam Hubbard he's an okay pass rusher but he's a great run defender and you pair that with a guy like Tyquan Lewis who can get after the quarterback and Nick Bosa who at this point, it's hard to justify keeping him off the field because he's so damn good. It, it just goes to show the, the talent that they have brought in. And shout out to Greg Schiano because even though they were, you know, I wouldn't say getting shredded in the first half, they had to make some adjustments in the second half. And I thought that Schiano did a pretty awesome job at doing that. And they, they played so well in the second half, and it was great to see them really get out and attack at all levels of the defense. And if there's anywhere where the play didn't stand out, it was like the linebackers not were missing, but everybody else but them were were making plays. Jerome Baker had a really quiet night. Yeah, Jerome Baker probably should have had a pick six. but (laughs) Yes, yeah. um, Yeah, Denzel Ward had one too many pass breakups. But I think the number one thing that stood out about the defense, especially later on in the game, is that – I think that everyone on Ohio State's defense was more athletic than anyone on Indiana's offense, and I think that's going to be the the case for most games. Like there were plays where Chase Young and Sam Hubbard, who are defensive linemen, were chasing down wide receivers and tackling them. It's just, I mean, we saw Robert Landers do his best Reggie Bush impression. Um, yeah. <laughs> like they, it's just this defense and the defensive line especially is just filled with nothing but incredible athletes. And I think that's really a testament to the the culture that Greg Schiano has built with that defense. All right, let's let's flip to the offense and we'll talk about some of the struggles they had early on. But overall, this is a team that put up 596 yards, 49 points, had 26 first downs against a team that had a top 30 defense last year. Probably is going to have a top 30 defense again this year. And I, I thought that all things considered that it was a pretty damn good game when you look at those final numbers. But looking at the first half, there were certainly some issues, and a lot of what we saw last year popped up yet again. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of questionable play calling with maybe running J.K. Dobbins up the middle when he's not necessarily going to be able to succeed in that kind of situation, at least not in the first half. But I think the number th- one thing that we saw that people were – very vocal about on Twitter was the lack of separation from receivers in the first half and that was something that we we saw most of last season and that really seemed to continue at least in the first half and it wasn't really until the second half that we saw guys like Paris Campbell or Johnny Dixon or 
Terry McLaurin or just any of the receivers start to make plays. And when they did start to get that separation, it was really when the offense opened up. Yeah, and I, I would be interested to see in going back and watching the game to see if what kind of route combinations they ran in the first half because the second half, especially with Dixon and Campbell, we saw a lot of mesh stuff. And that was kind of what they did in 2014. I know they had Devin Smith as a guy to take the top off the defense. I certainly don't think there's anybody still on the team that has those type of skills. But, you know, the intermediate throwing game, 10 to 15 yards, it isn't JT Barrett's game. Whatever you want to say about him, I'm a guy that loves JT Barrett. But he has his limitations to his game, and I don't think making those intermediate reads is a thing that he does well. But I think in the crossing game, the short hitch game, that mesh style of offense, he does really well. And it seemed like they did a lot more of that in the second half. And they really reaped the benefits of it. And Barrett didn't have some of the best throws in the first half. But I, I thought to, to what you're saying, that if you want to, I guess, place any sort of blame on how the passing offense when it definitely was with those receivers and their ability to get separation. But that's one of those things, too, I think. We saw in the second half, Austin Mack had a catch. He got involved. Paris Campbell, despite the drop, which JT Barrett threw on a dime, by the way, for people that say he can't throw the deep ball, that was about 50 yards on the money. You can't place that any better. Uh, you know, Paris Campbell turned it up. He had a good second half. Johnny Dixon... God bless him. He's back. He's healthy. It was great to see him make a play on that 59-yard touchdown. And then the uh, the touchdown to Benjamin Victor, and that's that's his game, that back shoulder game where he can use his length, use his height against a corner. Uh, I think that there were some very positive signs that, that they showed in the second half in what this passing game should be. And for the most part, I really liked what I saw out of Barrett and thought that this was – his most solid performance maybe since the Oklahoma game last year. Yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the box score right now for JT Barrett and I did see on um, on the actual broadcast that this is his first game where he threw for over 300 yards since the Bowling Green the Bowling Green yeah. game opening the season last season. And um, he threw he threw 30 fewer passes than Richard Legal did and um, accumulated just on just over a hundred yards fewer than Legout did, which is just incredible that he was even close when Legout threw sixty-five passes. Yeah, not, you know I don't want to be because I'm sure we'll we'll get response from people that you know we're keeping it too positive, and I don't want to pump sunshine up at everybody's ass asses because there there was problems, and I, I think that if you want to be a pessimist and look at it that way too especially against a team as talented as Oklahoma next week, then there certainly are things that are worrisome about the passing game. And by no means is it a finished product. They, they definitely still need to step it up. But I think if you're judging from what we saw from them against Michigan, from against Penn State, and late in the season last year, and obviously Clemson to now, I think that they're definitely taking – positive steps they're not moving in the wrong direction based off of what we saw tonight even with a lackluster first half yeah absolutely I think that I think that with JT Barrett and I think with his offense in general something that you really as a Buckeye fan or just as a general person watching JT Barrett play something that you have to understand is that he's never going to be a guy like Deshaun Watson or you know a guy who's probably going to get any kind of chance in the NFL which is just 
I mean, it's unfortunate, but JT Barrett's not the kind of guy who's going to be completing 40-yard passes down the field on the dime every single play. He's just, he's a phenomenal leader, and he's extremely good at, at running and underneath routes and really taking control of the situation when the team needs him to. And I think that he showed that tonight. And even if there were, even if there were some poor passes and some missed chances, I think he really, I think he really stepped up when they needed him to. And that's what he's been doing for the last four years, essentially. All right, we're 16 minutes into this. We got to talk about J.K. Dobbins <laughs> because he's probably, I think, for a general college football fan that you know knows who Ohio State is, knows J.T. Barrett, knows most of the players. They know that Urban Meyer recruits talented guys and you see that wow Ohio State's starting running back is is out and they're starting a, a true freshman there at running back and he goes off for 29 carries 181 yards and from the start like from that first drive even he looked like he belonged on the field in some of the cuts he made some of the reads he made a true freshman in their first game that should not be doing that. Yeah, it felt a lot like watching Maurice Claret play against Texas Tech in his first yeah. game as a freshman. It just, I mean, J.K. Dobbins looked like a man among boys, and he's 18, 19 years old. I mean, he just, 181 yards on 29 carries is impressive for a senior running back that's been playing for four years, and this is his this is his first game, and I think the only... I think the only negative that you could possibly take from his game is that he didn't have any touchdowns, and that's because they all went to uh, Antonio Williams. Yeah, he was a kid, seven carries, 44 yards, two touchdowns late in the game. He looked pretty damn good, too. And it sounds like Mike Weber, um, Urban Meyer, said after the game that he was about 80%. He could have played if he wanted to or if they wanted to, but they decided to sit him. You know, I'm team Mike Weber to the death. I love watching Mike Weber play. This is going to be a very impressive duo. And, you know, Weber maybe maybe doesn't have the explosiveness that Dobbins has, but I think that the easiest way to describe it and the most cliche is it's a thunder and lightning roll, but that's really, I think, what they can establish with both of those guys' skill sets. And that opens up JT Barrett having to be less involved in the run game as we've seen you know, in, in prior years, especially in, in spots like fourth and short, you know, second and short of those draw plays near the goal line that they like to run. And so when JT Barrett does run the ball, it becomes more meaningful. And I think it'll catch the defense off guard even more. So by the time he's ready to go against Oklahoma, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the passing game all year and, and keep track of that and see how it does. But with Dobbins, Weber, Barrett, and then Antonio Williams, that's a pretty damn good group right there. I think that we got kind of a taste of what it could look like when Dobbins and Weber are both operating at full strength in the in the second half, where when it was it was obvious that we needed just a couple yards up the middle, Williams would come in and he would bruise his way forward to a couple yards. And I hope that they use Mike Weber more frequently than they did Williams, obviously, because I think he's a fantastic running back. But having having a guy like J.K. Dobbins being able to come in and run to the outside, run to the inside, just make plays that Mike Weber might not be explosive enough to make and really taking the attention away from J.T. Barrett. Like we saw on the, um, on the two-point two conversion, the defense completely sold out to stop J.K. Dobbins and J.T. Barrett ran pretty much untouched 
and he probably would have been untouched if he was 80 yards away. And that's the kind of thing that having two dominant running backs like I think Ohio State may have this year can really do for a running quarterback like JT Barrett. What did you think of the offensive line play tonight? I'll have to go back and watch. I, I don't really recall anything off the top of my head. I know that there was a little bit of shuffling as the game went on, but for the most part, seemed fine. You know, I, I don't know what Indiana's pass rushing situation is outside of Tigray Scales, so that's something to look out for against Oklahoma, who's going to have better athletes up front in that front seven, especially on the line. But for the most part, it seemed like they did fine. It certainly wasn't a disaster like some of the games last year were. Yeah, I think the offensive line, much like the defensive backfield, looked better as the game went on. Um, there was... There was some struggles with running the football, especially up the middle in the first quarter and in the first half. Uh, but they only allowed one sack. I think, for the most part, the new guys looked solid. Um, Isaiah Prince looked improved, for sure. Billy Price was consistent, as he always is. Um, there were a couple plays where I noticed uh, Jamarco Jones looked a bit slow off the snap, and I think that, that was kind of reflected as he was off the field through some of the second half, uh, replaced by Brandon Bowen Bowen, uh, and uh, Matthew Burrell, which maybe there's an injury issue there, but Jamarco did look a little bit slow off the the jump for a good part of the game, and I think it got a couple of third-down runs um, blown up. Any other big takeaways from you on the offense? Not that we haven't really touched on. I'm just, I'm astounded by how how impressive J.K. Dobbins looked. That he's he's already a certified dude, and he's played one game in college. Yeah, and and that's something where he got a ton of hype. It's not like this was totally out of out of the blue. And at least for Ohio State, I think, especially on offense, it's rare that you see that happen. And we haven't really seen that go down in in the Urban Meyer era. You know, Dontre Wilson was had a part in the offense as a freshman. He certainly never had a game like this in his whole career, let alone his freshman career. Curtis Samuel got a lot of run in 2014 as a freshman, but he wasn't a focal point of the offense then either. This is the first time we've seen a guy, and he had to do it because of injury, but he still had to do it nonetheless, be the most focal part of the offense and to be able to deliver the way that he did after everybody hyped him up. He was the first kid to lose his black stripe, Um, If anybody listens to the Solid Verbal, great podcast. They had Big Ten Network's Dave Revzin on earlier uh, a couple weeks ago talking about the Big Ten, and they asked him about who stood out to him from Ohio State, and he said out of everybody that it was J.K. Dobbins and that he was going to play a major role. I mean – we're one game in, and you know maybe we need to pump the brakes. We're not going to say the kid's going to win the Heisman or anything, but he certainly over-delivered, and, and it was an impressive performance. And we can't stress enough either that this is a really good Indiana team, and it's a really good Indiana defense. This isn't just some scrub-ass team that they put up 49 points and 600 yards against. So I, I think getting back to the overall view of the offense, there are certain things to – Maybe not be worried about, but know that Ohio State has to work on. But for the most part, I think Kevin Wilson's first game, freshman running back, receivers that struggled last year, I, I think they did pretty well. Yeah, I think I think it was, it was coming into the game probably extremely unlikely that J.K. Dobbins or the offense would live up to the to the hype that they have experienced this offseason. And I think at least the second half, 
they did. I think that this team looked like what we thought they would look like in the second half against a good Indiana defense. And I think that even if it wasn't the the uh, eighty point outburst that some fans were hoping for, I guess um, I think that this is a game that Ohio State fans should be really happy with. And I think something that some people may not even really be considering because it's not something that they should have to consider consistently with a program as elite as Ohio State is. How about the kicking and punting game? It looked great. <laughs> Dude, I was just about to bring that up because that that is something in like I think it's become sort of a meme on the podcast is that like I love talking about the punting game, especially when Cam Johnston was here. Like it, it was so good and they flipped field position. And I think the first at least the first punt from Chrisman, maybe the first two it kind of felt like, uh, this is this is not going to be good. But he finished the game six punts, 272 yards. That's a 45.3 average. Put three inside the 20 and had a very awesome punt, I guess is the only way to put it, of 62 yards. That flip field position, I want to say it was in the third quarter, and I, I thought was really a nice way to get Ohio State's defense a little bit of a break from being on the defensive there. Sean Nuremberger hit two field goals. Longest was 27, but hey, if you're kicking 27-yard field goals, that's not the best, but as long as they have a guy that can make it, because we didn't see that consistency last year from anybody, so punting game, great. If they can flip field position again and be one of the best teams in the country, they have all the four and, and five-star former blue chip guys on those coverage units you could want to destroy people and if you're just making you know your 40 and under yard field goals that's a club they really haven't had in their bag lately and lastly that kick coverage unit like good luck man they just put that ball on the left side pin it inside the five I had another buddy text me during the game not an Ohio State fan that was like man I've never seen a team do what they do where they just have their kicker Put it inside the five every time, short kick, go to the left, and good luck outrunning all those four stars. Yeah, Austin Mack set the edge like a damn pro yeah. on a number of those kickoffs. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought the special teams were, were great in general. Um, we didn't have – Paris Campbell very nearly returned two kickoffs for a touchdown. Like, he was he was one man away from breaking both of his returns. Um, but we didn't have any drop punts. We we didn't have any block kicks resulting in um, year-long highlight tapes where there's a, a whiteout <laughs> at Penn State. It still frustrates me. Um, but just the little things, especially in the special teams, look good, and I think that that's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. There was, you know, for even some of the offensive inconsistency, it never really felt like they even had a moment like they did in the Bowling Green game last year where – the first drive of the season was that pick six, and it was just kind of a bad omen for how the season eventually ended up going for the offense. Even though they had a, a bit of struggles, it never really seemed like either offensively or in the kicking game that there was that one breakdown where it just felt like, oh, this this just doesn't even look like Ohio State football. So that that was good. They they looked like you know they were not midseason form, but it didn't look like they were playing in their first game of the year outside of some of those first half woes I think if that makes any sense yeah I um they there was no turnovers which was really good to see there's usually more turnovers um in the early season and we avoided any of those which is a really good sign but I was impressed with just discipline in general and the lack of 
penalties on both sides, but the defensive backfield had a little bit of pass interference issues. But I think for the most part, especially the the offensive line, really, I mean, I don't think I don't recall a false start or a holding penalty, which is really good to see and um, a far cry away from the year the days of um, J.C. Schubert and. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, situations like that. Shugarts, yeah. He was uh he was the king of the false start. <laughs> Any final takeaways from you? Free to Mario McCall. Free him. What was what's the deal with him? It seems like uh I heard on Twitter, I saw on Twitter that he's banged up. He got a little hurt at near the end of camp, so maybe that had to do something with it, but I'm I'm very interested to see. I don't think one game is enough, but you know, unless McCall is really that explosive, I think the H back, at least the way we saw it with Andre Wilson a little bit, more so with Curtis Samuel, I think that that's going to go by the wayside for a little bit unless Demario McCall is just such a great option that he has to be on the field because it's only one game in, but you have a guy like Weber, you have J.K. Dobbins who, you know, you, you can't give him less playing time now. And you have at least kind of, I think, defined roles or guys stepping up in roles at receiver, especially with Paris Campbell being that guy there over the middle and being your efficiency guy who can also break long plays. But at some point, you can only have so many guys you can get the ball to. So I'm interested to see what they do with him going forward as he's more healthy. But I wouldn't be shocked to see H-back kind of have less of a role at least in terms of the run game in this offense. Yeah, I think the I think that next year is probably going to be the the time that he sees significant playing time at H back. But I think the number one way that Urban Meyer could appease my um my need for more Demario McCall is do you know how Oregon has their um, the duck ride out on the motorcycle before the games? <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. need I need Demario McCall to ride a motor like a like a motorbike out onto the field before the game's out of the tunnel and just ride around on the field. That would that would really make me happy. Yeah, I feel like that would be an excellent way to start the Oklahoma game. <laughs> like, not even have Brutus come out. You know, you can do script Ohio or whatever, but just have DeMario McCall just revving a motorcycle and just flying out to midfield. That's the most intimidating thing you can do to a team. That's I, I would quit right there if I was Oklahoma. You got to win the mental battle. <laughs> So we still have tomorrow, I'll be at the CU-CSU game down in Denver, and then Saturday, all those games. Oklahoma's not playing anybody of note. How do you feel right after this game heading into that game? Because it feels like no injuries either. So Ohio State's going to go into that one pretty fresh, unless you know there was just something that happened that we don't know about. But what are your initial thoughts on that game, and, and what are you looking out for? I feel a lot more confident now about that game than I did after the end of the second quarter of this game. But after looking into Oklahoma for a good chunk of this offseason and after seeing the game last year, I think Oklahoma's worse than they were last year. I think that they, they lost a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, D.D. Westbrook is gone, and both of their running backs are gone, and it's pretty much just Baker Mayfield um, who's left on that offense. And while he's probably one of the most talented players Ohio State will play this year, it's hard for a quarterback to do much without wide receivers. And I think that the defensive backfield will have an easier time with their inexperienced group at receiver. Um, so as of right now, 
and as long as there's not any secret injuries that we aren't aware of, um, I think I think I'm pretty confident um, going into that game, especially with it being at home. Yeah, as am I, and I think the one thing we saw last year and what the defense was able to do against Mayfield with more of those talented pieces on Oklahoma in Mixon and P. Ryan and, and Westbrook, all those guys are gone. They were still able to really get some pressure on him and force him into some bad mistakes. And I think with the way that the line can get after the quarterback, that that's something to where with how aggressive it seems like Ohio State's defensive backs are going to play this year, that paired with a line that's going to get after a quarterback, they're going to have some chances to make plays next week. And I think that that's probably going to be where the game flips. And I'm not too worried about Ohio State, especially in the run game, getting after Oklahoma's defense. I think that they'll be just fine there. So if they're able to force some Baker Mayfield mistakes like they were last year, then I think that they have a very good shot at winning that game. But like you, I feel pretty confident about that one. Yeah, that should be a fun game. I um I think I'm going to try and get out to that game and that should be a pretty great environment. Whenever whenever a big team like that comes to town, the the tailgates and the crowd is fantastic. So I'm really hoping to get to that one. All right, any as we wrap this up, any last thoughts? The only thing I have is, you know, you can look down the list Paris Campbell, Dobbins, everybody. You can single out anybody. You can kind of view this game the way you want. My big takeaway the defensive line, like I said, 10 deep. guy like Jayshon Cornell is making plays in a big part of the game. Jonathan Cooper's on the field getting after the quarterback. You know, it's it's pretty ridiculous the way that they have recruited there and they've stacked up that depth. And I think that if you're looking at a unit or something that's going to anchor this team and be the identity of this team, it's going to be the defensive line. And that's an area where if there's an injury or two, like – that is plug-and-play right now because they have so many guys, and I think that that's going to be the thing to carry this team, especially early on when the secondary is getting more experience. And we didn't see much from the safeties tonight. You know, we saw Indiana isolate and go out wide, and that's something Oklahoma, I think, may do more, especially with a guy like Mark Andrews, the tight end slash hybrid receiver, is attack over the middle because I don't, I don't really think we saw – them do that much tonight there was a couple of breakdowns in the middle of the field so maybe OU will attack that so I think if there's one unknown in the defense right now it's kind of that that safety those two safety positions and what they're able to do but didn't see a lot from them la- or tonight well Jordan Fuller had that interception thanks yeah. to Kendall yeah. Sheffield but I think great play by Sheffield yeah that was uh, that was crazy athleticism to to make that play happen and he did a great job reading the quarterback's eyes but yeah I think I think that to to be more concerned about the defense going into the Oklahoma game than the offense is at least that's how that's how I feel is a really good sign because I trust Greg Schiano and this defense a lot more than I trust the offense and um for that to be the biggest the biggest issue is not really something that I think should cause Ohio State a ton of problems because they've been so good defensively over the last few years and especially just under Urban Meyer in general. And I think as long as the offense can score and move the ball and not let Oklahoma be on the field for 50 minutes in the game, I think that it's a really winnable game and I think that it's a game that Ohio State will win. Do you think Kevin Wilson is happy tonight? I think Kevin Wilson's happy to go back to Columbus. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think so, too. I think Zach, yeah, I think Zach Smith's probably happy to go back to Columbus also. Um, Man, yeah. <laughs> I, I told you before we started recording that, like, I, I didn't really tweet in the first half at all, and the only things I did tweet were, like, positive things that I thought Denzel Ward was looking good and he was competing and the defensive line was looking good. But if there was one thing I got close to tweeting, it was, like, Zach Smith, his head was is on the cutting board as far as I'm concerned. So I'm glad that the receivers stepped up because I like all those guys. And they, they all seem like, you know, I don't want to talk shit about any of the kids, but the receivers all seem like they're nice kids. And I'm, I'm tired of people raining on them, and that's myself included. I, I'm, I'm in that group as well, and I, I want to see them, you know, succeed. But the way that Zach Smith's personality is, I think, lends itself to, like, when it's going well, it's like, yeah, this guy's the man. But when it's not, it's like this guy's just full of hot air and he's full of shit. Like those guys aren't making any plays. So I think he's probably very happy with the second half. And that uh, that first half film study, though, might be a little ugly. Yeah. Speaking of wide receivers, again, shout out to Johnny Dixon. Um, congrats yeah, to him for, for getting his first touchdown. Um, I don't know if there's a kid who deserves that more than him. There's, I'm looking at the game log right now. Ten kids caught passes last night. Antonio Williams had a catch. Uh, J.K. Dobbins had yeah. a really nice catch early on on that on that <laughs> wheel route, and Barrett hit him with another one on the right side uh, that the Indiana safety made a great play on that hit him right in the hands. Tough catch, but uh, he he showed that he can get out there as well. So Ohio State was spreading the ball around. Luke Farrell caught a ball in the second half. So definitely, I, I think that it's uh it's still open as to who's taking those spots i would say that campbell's pretty much locked one of them down though and you're gonna take the good with the bad but outside of him i think it's pretty much all up for grabs still yeah um the if if jk if jk dobbins keeps keeps hitting those wheel routes we might have to start um start adopting some penn state lingo gotta start calling them tutties (laughs) (laughs) absolutely man all right well that's we're 40 minutes in almost. That's probably a good place to wrap this up. want to thank you guys all for listening. I, I had a hell of a lot of time or a hell of a lot of fun recording this podcast. If we can do more of these post-game podcasts, we'll do it. At the very least, we're going to make sure for these games, this was kind of an odd setup because it was a Thursday night game. Pretty much the rest for the rest of the year are going to be Saturday games. We'll always make sure that you guys have these podcasts at some point on Sundays and ready for Monday, whether it's your morning commute or when you get home, whatever. We'll have analysis of the game, breakdown, probably like this, 40 minutes, talk about the game, hopefully after wins. But even if there are losses, we'll do that as well. But that's the plan going forward. So keep your eye on soundcloud.com slash Land. Make sure to subscribe by going to Apple Podcasts and searching to hang out in the Holy Land. If you like the show, please leave a review Tell us what we can do. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what we need to improve on. You guys have started hitting the reviews a little bit more. I appreciate that. Shout out to you guys that have uh, have done that. I'll make sure to give you guys a shout out on the show because we really do appreciate your support. If you guys want to find me on Twitter, go to twitter.com, obviously, and at me. At Dubsco, you can find me there talking Ohio State stuff. Patrick, where can everybody find you? They can find me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn on Twitter. Um, for the most part, I will tweet about Ohio State, but 
when it's 2 a.m. on Saturday nights and I guess Sunday mornings, I will tweet about Arizona State football when they're playing Washington State in the middle of October because that's what I do. Hey, dude, that's that's goes for <laughs> me too. I'm in Pac-12 country, so like if, if y'all want to talk Pac-12 after dark with me and Patrick, follow us on Twitter. We'll be talking Ohio State football and college football all season. Also, make sure to follow the site at LandGrant33 for the best coverage of Ohio State on the internet in just as a reminder, it's free. It's always free, and it's your premier resource. So be sure to check us out. We want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Wrapping up the first postgame podcast of the year, Ohio State beats Indiana 49-21. to For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This is the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.